What is going on, my freaks, geeks, and free thinkers? This is Mike Romanelli with episode number 64 of the Free Thinker Society. I'm hanging out here with my main man, Clint Esposito. What's going on, Clint? Not much, Mike. How are you? I'm great, man. Um, this was another another out there crazy episode, man. We're just learning all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I kind of like it. I like how we're taking a little bit of a... It's not on purpose, but we've kind of taken a little break from the politics and bullshit, even though I feel like every episode we talk a little bit about what's going on, the climate of the world. I think that it bleeds into everything. Oh, yeah. Even uh, <laughs> extraterrestrials and aliens, right? They're dealing with our government. Yeah. So uh, I think it all kind of circles back. Yeah. This episode we had Chaz of the Dead. I mean, early in the, in the episode he said that uh, he was an anarchist, so we kind of, this one we didn't get into much, but yeah, um, you're right. I mean, with what's going on in the world, I don't think no matter where you are, you got to talk a little bit about it, but... Unfortunately, Unfortunately, it all circles back into our overlords a little bit. Yeah, well, and maybe we're starting to find out who our overlords really might be. They might not be who we think they are. Um, but yeah, Chaz was awesome, man. Um, well, that's the thing, right? Everybody forever, sorry, it's getting okay. off that, but it's always like, who really controls it? And yeah. they try to put people to it, like the Bilderbergs or mm -hmm. this or that, and it's like they're so um, like behind the scenes. Why wouldn't we think that maybe it was something else? Something, right? Yeah, not someone or some group. Absolutely, man. Um, I mean, that's why we call the Free Thinker Society, right? We just keep going down this rabbit hole and open our minds. And I don't know about you call it a set, uh, fence sitter or whatever you want to call it, but I, I like to explore and see other other things and, and, and learn about other stuff. I mean, I thought it was really interesting when he was telling us about that friendship cult. Um, didn't know much about it, and I can't wait to uh, learn more about it. I also want to read his book. His book's definitely got some cool stuff in it. Um, yeah, I hope you guys like this one. Chaz was an awesome guy. I hope to have him back. Um, yeah, it was great. I want to thank uh, everyone from The Swarm, and I want to thank our listeners. Um, guys, you are awesome. I love when you guys reach out to us. Uh, it's really cool. I love interacting with you guys. Just want to say thank you. All right, guys. And also, as always, this podcast is brought to you by... Hero Soap Company, it is made and sourced in the United States, owned by an Air Force veteran, and a percentage of proceeds go to first responder and veteran charities. You can get a discount uh, by using the code FREETHINKERS at checkout, and again, it's HeroSoapCompany.com. Wash your balls. <laughs> Addicts and drugs not yet synthesized. Black marketeers of World War III. Excisers of telepathic sensitivity. Osteopaths of spirit. Investigators of infractions denounced by land paranoid chess players. Yeah, well, you know, I'm an anarchist, so... Uh, me too. Anytime I see any kind of bureaucracy or government, I'm like, fuck that. I don't think we're that free. But comparatively, yeah. yeah but compared, are yes. People that way. Um, <laughs> they're they're uh, definitely coming in droves. Yeah. Absolutely, man. I have so many friends moving down to Florida. It's out of control. Um, But they're all happy, you know. I, I Florida's fucking. We're gonna get into psychedelic stuff, but I all, almost all of the ceremonies I've done were down in Florida, on yeah. reservations down there. Yeah, I have a lot of medicine friends out in Florida. 
Yeah, there's a couple. Um, there's a couple organizations have gotten um, like religious exemptions and things mm-hmm. like that to to legally do um, some of those studies. So I'm actually curious to hear your perspective on those because I've always kind of been a little skewed out by them. The you church know, being from Florida, I'm like, ah, I'm good. <laughs> I'll wait to go to Peru to take my ayahuasca <laughs> instead of in a a backyard and. Yeah, so it depends. Listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I I stopped partaking in in those ceremonies, but I've met some amazing people there. So there are some there's some real there's some real medicine people Mm -hmm. in South Florida um, that are bringing some powerful shamans from some serious tribes. But yeah, it's uh, some of it's gross for sure. And it's not really part of my thing anymore. Um, It was great. It was great when it lasted, and I met some of the some amazing people, and most of them are back in Colombia now, or Colombia for the most part, some in Brazil. Um, but there was a time that the ceremonies were were great. They started to get a little. They started to get a little. I know what you're saying. It, it was. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's you know, Florida, South Florida in particular. Once you start something like that, you end up attracting a certain crowd at a point. Hundred percent. Uh, you know, and, and of course, you got great people and mixed in with some less than great people, and uh, like anything in life, it's it's a give and take. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Hundred percent. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I I think um, I've always kind of wanted to to go for a uh, you know I've done a lot of research, especially when it comes to ayahuasca. I haven't done an ayahuasca trip yet. I've got a couple places in mind mm-hmm. that are more of a, a traditional kind of setting, and so when I'm when I can afford it, and when mm-hmm. I got some time, I'm gonna go and, and do it. And if I'm doing it. I'm gonna do it up. Um, <clears throat> but uh, in the meantime, Florida does pose a a nice place to conduct some some other psychedelic experiences. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, less traditional. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I so I've been most of the ones I went to were very traditional, and we, I mean, we had some mm-hmm. serious medicine men and women serve medicine. Um, they started to get a little row, like they almost got these. I used to do these things called the heart shops, and the mm-hmm. the the woman that was serving the medicine was a real was a real shaman from Colombia. She was the real deal, but. <laughs> It was really cool, and I'm happy that, that I experienced it, but they were mixing medicines, and now that I'm deeper into that community, I realized that it was, now I understand why people kind of, it was like a no-no, because she would have, like, um, different tribes serving uh, peyote in the morning after we did yahe all night, and Ooh. it was it was crazy. Sometimes it would be a two-three-day three thing, and um, yeah. any of the medicine women that I've met that are from Colombia and stuff now they don't do that they don't even allow you to smoke smoke pot there they don't allow mm-hmm. you to uh to use hape if that's not their medicine like it's like you gotta it's whatever yeah, yeah. so it's way more traditional so it was mm-hmm. it, it was cool what they were doing but it definitely got real crazy like once you could start vemoing to get in and stuff it got a little like yeah I, yeah it, gets a little, it was a little like uh, i don't know i'm good uh, now and i from personal experience i've had to learn the hard way that it's much better to space out your psychedelic experiences, uh, you know, over, take a, six months is probably a good chunk of time to, to have between, you know, heavy doses of psychedelics. There was a, during some of my paranormal experiments, because I wanted repeated trials and things like that, 
I definitely broke that rule, and there were some negative health, uh, yeah, ramifications for that. Absolutely, for sure. Um, are we good? For sure. I mean, uh, I I'm the last one I did was uh, I did a, a heart pretty crazy aboga in uh, Mexico for about a, five days, and uh, that's the last one I've done. I've done some microdoses since, um, but yeah, I'm all about that, and I was not. I used to go hard in the paint, man. I would just go. I, I love that realm. So, um, mm-hmm. Chaz, I am so excited to have you on the show. Uh, my man Chaz of the Dead is on the Freethinker Society tonight. Um, this is going to be episode number 63. we got a lot to cover. Um, I'm sorry for the technical difficulties, but here we are, and we got to chat a little bit, which I don't normally do before most podcasts. So we got to break the ice a little bit. Great to have you on. Um, so, Chaz, I, I want to... Um, I want to ask you something. What What is this friendship cult? Uh, great question. Uh, the, so the friendship is a group. And let's start off by saying that their existence is debated. Um, it's not like a, a group or a cult in the traditional sense where they're actively recruiting people. No, no. They're a secret uh, organization of some kind. And um, they're all physically, they're tall, blonde-haired, you know, late 20s, early 30s, peak physical specimens. They're these sexy blondes. They're all scientists, and they all have these Catholic angelic names like Ariel and Michael and all named after different angels and all different, each one has a different profession and some kind of science. And according to the group themselves, uh, according to the people that they've interacted with, they um, report reportedly claim that they're from the center of the universe, that they themselves are extraterrestrials. Um, and they exist somewhere in Chilean Patagonia. And uh, the few, I think it's 4,000 um, different islands in the, the Chilean archipelago part half of Patagonia right there at the very southern tip of South America. Um, And it's in these rural communities that, you know, kind of dot these islands that people have had these weird interactions starting in the 80s and uh, up until modern times with this this strange group. Um, And so uh, my first book was my research and my attempt uh, an investigation going down there to Chile to try to get in touch with this group and try to, you know, meet up with them and get some more information. Wow. Um, and it was a, a quite a bizarre journey. And like we kind of talked before the show, there was some psychedelic experiments and things involved. And uh, no, it was a, a, a very bizarre um, little journey I went on to so, investigate this group. Okay. So before you went to investigate them, you actually knew about them. So you actually went with the intention to go find this group. So, yeah, I, I had heard about them briefly mentioned uh, in a podcast. I think uh, I want to say it was Mysterious Universe. Um, the guys over there of Australia. Um, and they on their website had a couple articles written up. Uh, but that was pretty much all the English you know, language information available on the case. Uh, with two articles and a brief mention, you know, here and there. And for me, it kind of stood out as this really intriguing case because it had 
all these possible explanations from, you know, some human explanations involving Nazis and things like that to ET explanations. And at the time I was looking for a case to also, you know, test out my psychedelic theories and things like that when it comes to the phenomenon. It almost sounds like uh, the Vril. You're familiar with Vril? It almost sounds like yeah. that group. Uh, yeah, the Vril, the Nordic, the, um, uh, well, what's the star system? The Pleiadians. Pleiadia, Pleiadians. Right. The, yeah. This archetype definitely is one that's consistent, um, especially in the UFO phenomenon, um, but also in more occult circles and things like that, channeled mm-hmm. entities and whatnot, and, uh, you know, automatic writing and drawing has given pictures of again these sexy blonde space fabias um, <laughs> space and so, yeah it, it, it just kind of seemed like this case that you know no one was looking at and it had all these potentials and there was one other kind of tipping factor was in one of these articles there was a um, newspaper clipping uh, it was a newspaper from Puerto Montt Chile which is right at the top of um, Chile and Patagonia, and the, the newspaper clipping was a private advertisement written in English, and it said, to the friendship, I'm the civil or the uh, professional engineer you visited in Sarasota, Florida, um, two years ago. I didn't know who you were then, but I know now, and I would like to come to your island. And that's all it said in this this uh, ad. And as we were discussing before, I'm from Sarasota. Yeah. So that kind of like, for whatever reason, it made it real enough where I was like, well, it, it reached my town somehow yeah. in one way or another. And I'm going to go down there and, and check it out. Like I got to, if someone from Sarasota has made contact with this group, then I guess it's possible for someone to do it again. Um, and so that was kind of a, a tipping factor that really made me go down there and uh, look look seriously at the phenomenon. And were you successful? Without giving away too much of your book, were you successful? Um, so I, I definitely had some bizarre experiences in Patagonia. I can say that much. Okay. Um, there was, I, I was shipwrecked while tripping on LSD at one point. <laughs> that sounds um, awesome. Terrifying yet some, awesome. <laughs> it, it, was, it was an experience. <laughs> um, but yeah, not to give too much away. But there, I definitely, uh, I did not, you know, I didn't shake any friendship member's hand. Okay. But I, I definitely uh, encountered some some witnesses and some things that were uh, quite bizarre. And the uh, investigation in itself in Chile was, was something um, quite interesting, especially when uh, looking at the realm of ufology and South American ufology. Um, getting there and, and, you know, asking about UFOs and things, I was pleasantly surprised. I've been to many countries all over the world, and, you know, most people kind of give you a sideways glance, and then they're like, oh, yeah, well, I guess there was this one time. <laughs> but in Chile, you're like, oh, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, the UFOs are real. Um, I saw one, my mom saw one this one time. Oh, yeah, my brother saw this wild one. <laughs> and, like, it's just kind of like this matter of a fact, you know, like, part of life that so it's just death. normal it's just normal in chile absolutely see. um they uh, actually have a government organization that's um not secret unlike the u.s's previous research attempts in the ufos they have this above board 
um, SUFO, something like that, um, is the acronym. And they released these UFO videos that are on par with the, the Navy videos that the U.S. released. And they've been doing it for decades. They've been like, hey, here's this weird video. We don't know what it is. It's some kind of unidentified flying craft. Um, and in some instances, it looks like maybe planes doing some espionage or mm -hmm. secret missions. But other instances, it's just like, well, what the fuck is that? You yeah. know, it's two orbs with a strap in the middle and it's like spinning and letting off this gas and very bizarre videos. And, you know, they're public domain. They're, uh, Chile and France were actually the only two countries whose government UFO research organization is public where they're just part of a, you know, just like a tiny office somewhere in Paris and in Santiago, they have some government dudes who collect UFO reports and try to figure out what these things are. And it's just, um, it's just known. It's just out there. That's, that's wild. So yeah, there's a, yeah. all right. So there's some serious like South American UFO culture that we're not aware of. Absolutely. Wow. And um, in Chile, they have a, they call it the UFO trail, but it's, you can't walk it. It's a, a drivable trail. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of just this system of mainland uh, UFO hotspots. Um, lake, uh, uh, ooh, what was that lake called? Uh, ooh, I'm whiffing on it. Um, but there's, there's a couple lakes, a village. Um, there's this rock formation up in the mountains that the rocks look carved. Uh -huh. um, it's on ancient aliens. It's one of these supposed UFO landing sites. Okay. Uh, but geologists claim it's just this really weird natural formation. Uh, but people have weird experiences up there. I collected a, a report um, where these two guys were um, going up there to hike and they wanted to camp for the night. And they paid the, the guide um extra money so he would go up there and camp and the guy was like ah you know it's sketchy it's all the weird ufo stuff i don't really want to do it but they they offered to pay him enough where they're like okay fine we'll go up we'll hike we'll camp um and so it's a it's a, a grueling hike to get up there um i actually wasn't able to complete the hike because it was iced over at a certain point and they were like no we can't legally let you go any further because you, you know it's it's too dangerous did you have any uh, so, success did you see anything uh so no i got this great story i froze my ass off <laughs> <laughs> but uh that location wasn't quite as successful i used some uh just a psychedelic experiment at a, another location and there was some weird audio phenomenon and some strange orbs that were captured on film though i'm pretty sure they're, they're debunkable um i'm very so skeptical when it comes to those um so this uh but these this uh duo as they hiked up there they hiked about the six seven hours it takes to get up there um got up finally got to the the location the flat stones they took off their backpacks and they were walking around and when one of them stepped into one of these kind of tile patterns that makes up the, the weird geological phenomenon he froze and he actually froze as he was about to light his cigarette. And the guide and his companion looked over and like, what are you doing, dude? And he just was frozen. And after 10, 15 seconds, he kind of fell out of the, the pattern and was like, I was paralyzed. That's the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. Wow. 
And so the guy was like, bullshit, whatever. And he steps into the same tile pattern and he's frozen again. And he's paralyzed for this 15 seconds. And he falls out of the, the pattern and they pick their backpacks up and they hike seven miles, seven hours back to the little village at the start of this park because they they were freaked out. They were like, uh-uh, we're not, there's no way in hell we're staying on this uh, formation overnight. Um, it's almost so like it's, sleep paralysis. It's almost like sleep paralysis, but just in like while while awake. That's why. Yeah, absolutely. That selective kind of, and again, that's something you hear in UFO yeah. uh, and abduction encounters all the time, mm-hmm. especially in abduction encounters when people are on the ships with uh, other people. They'll report that you know, oh, you're going along, and then frozen. You're, the other person's like completely out of it you can move them around like a sex doll They're that's pretty terrifying yeah but that, that is what they, that is definitely the reports um mm. i just want to back up real quick you said something about psychedelic experiments with the parent uh the ufos or paranormal or whatever we're going to call it, aliens so w- what is that you you would take a dose of psychedelics with the intention of seeing right, of, of contact contact with with whatever with ultra terrestrials um you know, other intelligences, mm-hmm. but not to the extent of, you know, if you want to make contact with other intelligences, you can take a shit ton of a psychedelic and you'll go out there and you'll, oh, yeah. you'll talk to some things. The mm-hmm. intention here is to create one of those experiences, but one of those experiences that has a physical element to it. And that's really where that paranormal thing lies because you know scientists will tell you that most paranormal situations are either misidentifications or hallucinations hallucinations sorry just help you out oh you're good you got caught in my mouth <laughs> um, and so you know that might be true but you have these physical aspects in uh, ghost cases, you have things moving around or, you know, chairs stacking, noises, knocks, vocal phenomena. And UFOs probably have the most physical evidence. They leave scorch marks. You know, there's videos of them. People who have been taken have physical effects. You know, in rare cases, there's implants. Um, Barney Hill, in the famous study in Barney Hill case, he had a ring of pimples around his, yeah. his Johnson where they <laughs> suction cupped him. Uh, so there's these physical, even Bigfoot, he leaves footprints and stacks sticks and leaves presents and things like that. Um, you know, even these far out paranormal experiences have this physical element. And so using the psychedelics isn't, you know, just to talk to spirits because, you know, you can use any kind of substance or plenty of people talk to them in their heads. Supposedly, um, it's about creating a situation, um, uh, a headspace that allows these paranormal things to occur in our reality. It's yeah. about bridging the gap between whatever yeah. that disincarnate information is and our reality. Yeah, and, I, uh, I like to think that psychedelics, especially on like like something lighter, milder, like LSD or something, it, it like it breaks down a veil that's always there that we just mm-hmm. it's just that we can't can't break through with you know and and there's definitely some people that that don't have that veil you know you might call them crazy yeah. you know i don't know uh 
but that's what I like to think about. But then obviously, once you take a heavy dose of something like a yahe or ayahuasca or DMT, forget the veil. <laughs> You're just in another mm-hmm. realm. Um, right. Interacting. And so with- in those situations, while they're fascinating, and I love reading trip reports, and it's really, it's not productive from a paranormal perspective because even the people experiencing that at most of the time, not always, but most of the time, they're, you know, like, yeah, it was a, it was in my head, you know, it was, you know, happening in some kind of drug induced state. I was definitely out of my skull, as they say. So whether these entities are, I guess the best way to say is that that information is accessed through using those substances. It's when this, that, those pieces of information access our reality on their own independently. That's what we call the paranormal. And that is kind of the, the trick of it. And I really started this avenue um, of research because I had a bizarre experience involving some mushroom tea and a Ouija board. Um, okay, and of course, it. in the paranormal world, that's a very, both of those are very taboo things. Like, I still get shit for it to this day where people are like, well, you're probably possessed because you did that. You know that, right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, they ha- it hasn't fucked with, you know, my day job yet. So <laughs> I'm not worried about it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not, my head's not spinning around. I'm not spitting up pea soup. Um, I, I had this Ouija board for a long time and I've had throughout my childhood, I've had some weird experiences, but nothing I'd say hard evidence. Um, so kind of inspired and, uh, as most Florida teenagers, I was exposed to some psychedelics. Um, but immediately I thought, well, I don't want to go to parties and do this. This is some occult shit. This mm-hmm. is something else. Yeah. And so I kind of just buys these experiments um and this was one of the first and my plan was to over a course of several weekends uh, which was bad for my health i do not recommend doing that <laughs> um to take these mushroom teas and do ouija board sessions and throughout the seven or eight of them i conducted nothing happened there was no the planchette didn't really move i mean i had some psychedelic experiences a piece of a drop of water hit me right in the middle of my forehead and you know i was i was i was up there when that happened and that was really cool i felt really one with the universe and everything but again i i can't that's just that's being on those substances um i wasn't getting any of the the strange messages no evps nothing but in between these experiments and the days I wasn't mm. actively taking the substances, I began to notice some strange things in the sky. Um, and it started actually right before I drank one of these teas. I had brewed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was stirring it. I was, you know, blowing on it, letting it cool and watching planes cross the sky. And this one I see is not blinking like a typical plane. Mm-hmm. It's consistent in its color and it suddenly bursts and scatters into several smaller objects, almost like a satellite re-entering, yeah. you know, or a spaceship blowing up in Star Wars. And it just bursts off into these smaller objects, and they all just kind of scatter and disappear. And, you know, being in Florida, you have rocket launches mm-hmm. and satellite re-entries, and it's a, it's a thing you can actually track online. There's forums and websites dedicated to it. 
So I, I went to see if I could find anything to correlate, and I couldn't. Um, and I thought that was pretty bizarre. And a few weeks later, I was telling a friend about this in between. It was a Wednesday in between two of these experiments. And he was kind of like scoffing at like, okay, dude, mushroom teas, UFOs, easy yeah. boys, whatever. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was like, yeah, fair enough. It's, it's not fair. Yeah. Probably not going to be anything, but whatever. It's weird. <laughs> and almost ironically, we start to hear this metallic hum. You see these lights through the trees and it comes through a clearing and it's this giant triangle shaped craft, a light in each corner. Um, a classic UFO shape uh, all around the world, but in particular, a bunch of sightings in Florida um, of mm -hmm. this this triangle. Triangle, yes. Craft. And it kind of just, it's hovering there, and it's low. It's right above the tree line. I could hit it with a rock. It was, it wow. was close to the tree line. And it just kind of hovered there for a second and continued on. And it really almost felt intentional. Like, it, there's not really any other way to describe it. Um the the timing i mean is otherworldly it's the thought and i it also felt like the intention of doing these substances using the ouija board trying to make contact with with something else and at that time i was in much more of a traditional paranormal ghosts are ghosts ufos are ufos bigfoot bigfoot kind of thing and so it, it was kind of a nod from the phenomenon almost like oh you want to you want to see a ghost here's a ufo uh, deal with that <laughs> and um I, i've been trying to deal with it um i definitely think that those experiments had something to do with it and i found um a collection of, of other encounters from other investigators who've reported similar things and one of the consistent things is it's not really during the psychedelic experience. I mean, you can I was just going to ask that. I was just going to ask a variety of uh, reports of weird stuff happening, uh, but the truly bizarre encounters, the very legitimate one like I had. And again, my friend was not involved in those substances. I mean, no, I can't say that. <laughs> not involved <laughs> in those substances, but he was not involved in those experiments. Experiment. He was not actively yeah. on any other any drugs at the time. Total separate witness who, to this day, is like, yeah, that's a fucking UFO. <laughs> that, that's what we saw that night. If you we had to guess what it was, UFOs. if you had to guess what it was, yeah. would you think it was a military or do you think it was uh, from another realm, another dimension? If you had to take a well, guess. So that's the most interesting thing about it because the really the research into the black triangles in particular mm -hmm. suggests that they're military craft yeah. to uh, a high extent. I mean, you have these um, theoretical blueprints and patents and things that definitely look like the craft I witnessed. Um, and, you know, there's military bases. There's one in, in Tampa, not far from, from where I witnessed that. Um, and again, this is something people see often in association with those military bases. Um, but the, the fact that I was under the psychedelic influence also seems kind of uh it, again the timing it's one hell of a synchronicity it's a one yeah. hell of a, a coincidence if it is just the they were happening to be flying their ufo around and their cloaking or whatever failed right above my house it's bizarre you know <laughs> you're br you're bringing up a memory this conversation is bringing up a memory that i'm having from florida 
that honestly I forgot about. I probably never told on this show before. Did one of those uh, weekend long uh, in Florida, mostly uh, hay, ayahuasca, and a lot of peyote the next day. And uh, I was on the beach with a bunch of people that I partake partook in the ceremonies with, and we were on the beach just hanging out. We're actually uh, drinking coconut, the juices out of the coconuts, just all hanging out on this beach together. And nobody is, what we'll call it, tripping, right? I, I would say visions or in that, that space. We're done. This is the Sunday. Sun is about to go down. I mean, and we were doing a Friday, Saturday, so, you know, we're not in that space at all anymore. This is all just kind of enjoying the beach. And we saw something. I want to say is more, what I witnessed, I wish it was more paranormal. It looked more military, but something I've never seen. There was no sound to this thing. It was giant. There was three of them. They were they were flying in perfect unison. They were t- moving in ways that it's like, what the fuck? I mean, some one guy there is like, oh, those are just giant drones. I mean, but these were giant, and they were moving perfect, and then just, and there was no sound. Like, it was like we all looked up. It was like, holy shit, these things were above us. And, and they just phew, took off. But they were above our head for quite some time. And, uh, it was fucking wild, man. And it was like you said, after after the psychedelic experience. Yeah. Yes. And, and I've had things like that with animals as well. Yeah, so I, I think the animals' connections to psychedelic experience, absolutely. When you use psychedelics to animals, definitely there's definitely a weird connection there. And that goes back to all kinds of shamanism. Mm-hmm. Um, not only in South America, but in Africa and mm-hmm. Australia as well. Shamans. interacting with animals but the interesting thing about the triangles and the majority of the reports is consistent with that silence uh but that's i I heard a definitive mechanic whirr because i remember Mm -hmm. when the experience happened we heard this weird whirr first and it didn't sound like a like a car engine or any kind of helicopter typical engine but we definitely heard this noise first because one of us said as a joke, oh, maybe that's a UFO because we were we were talking about it, um, wow. and so again, I'm not quite sure what that that has to do with with uh, what's going on. Um, I do have a theory um, sure. of how these things can be human design craft, but also have this psychedelic origin or this psychedelic effect. Um, and I call it B theory because the way it came to me again <laughs> was through a, a crazy couple of synchronicities. You're knocking off my uh, notes without me even have to say anything. Go ahead. Let's hear this yeah. B thing. I love this. <laughs> oh, is, I can't, like I've done this before. can't wait to hear this part. Okay, go ahead. Man. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a bit crazy, um, but bear with me. Uh, so it started uh, about six years ago when I was backpacking through Morocco. Um, and I wasn't quite writing like I am now and full-time investigating, but I was, you know, still very much interested in the subjects and that was kind of, you know, what people knew about me in the, the backpacking scene, like, oh, that's the weird UFO ghost guy. Um, and so I was in Tangier and I was hanging out with a, a couple friends and we met up with a friend of his and he found out, you know, my interests and things like that. And he was like, oh, I know a guy you have to meet. Um, and we set up this, this meeting at this roadside cafe and I met this guy and he told me some of the wildest stories I've ever heard. Um, 
he claims that he was the son of a, a CIA agent. And I met him a second time and there was no like paperwork or documents, but mm-hmm. he had some weird assets and things that kind of convinced me that maybe there was some legitimacy to, to that claim. Um, and know. he, this is an American, another American in Morocco. Yeah. So right away you American have that connection. Dude. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Definitely an American dude. Grew up in Morocco. Um, strange character. Okay. <laughs> definitely a strange guy. But uh, he he had assets and he lived in this place that was in Tangier, like the fanciest, I mean, multi-million dollar mansion. His next door neighbor was the, it's the Spanish princess's vacation home. Okay. So there were some weird, weird things where I was like, okay, you know. What I meet a lot of crazy people, but I don't really meet a lot of crazy people who, you know, live like this. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, and of course, Tangier for history buffs was the international zone right there after World War II. There was a lot of sketchy assassinations and illegal dealings and things going on. It was kind of like an early, uh, you know, version of some of the sketchy stuff that goes on in the Middle East started in in this region um so it was weird but the weirder things he told me was that he knew people who flew ufos he was like oh yeah i can get you a ride on one if you want and (laughs) that never came to fruition but he very confidently claimed this and he said that ufos were based on a technology they discovered within honeybees that honeybees have an anti-gravity chamber in their thorax, and this is what they reverse engineer to make UFOs. And, of course, something that crazy, you just don't forget it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, it, it was burned into my memory. I didn't take any notes or anything during this conversation. I wish I had, <laughs> uh, retrospectively, because I didn't know it would lead to something more. Uh, but he made this claim, and I was like, well, that's fucking insane, but awesome glad to hear it um and i kind of you know put it in the back of my mind and didn't really address it until um i was writing my book and in my book i go into the nazis in south america and this possible explanation behind the friendship group um and of course I theorize about uh, Nazis having UFO technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone knows the Nazi bell, this Glock device that uh, historians are pretty sure was real. Um, they're pretty sure it was a nuclear centrifuge, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of crucial part of building an atomic bomb. Um, but the fun sci-fi theory is that it was an anti-gravity device or yeah. a free energy device. Um, and of course, it's never been found, so no one really knows for sure. Um, and I said, you know, maybe if UFOs, this one in my book, I wrote this one time, this crazy guy in Morocco told me it was bees. So maybe if it is something that simple, then yeah, the Nazis could have discovered it. And you know, a bell kind of looks like a thorax of a honeybee. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe there's something there. And it was you know, maybe four or five sentences, just a little paragraph in my book. Um, And, you know, I published it and I was surprised the book kind of took off and people were inviting me to on their shows to to talk about it. And uh, one show that invited me was actually this general uh, subject comedy kind of podcast, not even really a paranormal podcast. 
Um, but they, you know, they like weird subjects. So they had me on to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the host had read my book and he said that paragraph jumped out at him. Yeah. Because when he was a child, his best friend's dad was in the military in some respect and always on like these weird secret <laughs> missions and things. And so they, when they asked him what he did, all he would say is, oh, I'm a, I'm a man in black, you know, like in the, the movie. <laughs> and that's all he would say. And uh, apparently when this man was on his deathbed and the son asked him for more information, all he would say was, look at the bees. Really? And that was the only thing he said on the matter. And they had always assumed it had something to do with the way bees communicated until he um, read my book and read this weird paragraph about <laughs> a weird dude in Morocco saying wow. bees are the source of UFOs. Uh, so at that point, I had to look a little deeper. Yeah. Um, and it was this this uh, kind of saying, this not myth, but this weird artifact of science for a long while that bees are too heavy to fly. I think they even say it at the start of the uh, Jerry Seinfeld B movie, they, they throw yeah. that quote out. And it says, but they do anyways, they don't give a shit. Um, and the origins of that is some MIT mathematicians were sitting around being nerds one day, and they <laughs> decided to do the math on whether how bees fly, mm-hmm. and they found it doesn't add up. Um, oh, nowadays, scientists, the, they say that the bees use a special whirlwind pattern with mm-hmm. their wings. They flap them in this specific way that gives them the extra lift that they need. Um, but there's still this one mystery in particular about honeybees that persists. And that's something that scientists have called the bees economy mode. And for some reason, when these bees are carrying pollen and they're carrying weight, they are using less energy. Their breathing is calmer. Their wind, their wing flaps aren't as rapid or stressed. Mm-hmm. They're somehow lighter when they're carrying things than when they aren't. And no one really understands how this works. Um, so I thought that was pretty bizarre. That's I, wild, you know, man. I was like, okay, you know, I've now I've looked through the scientific channels on bees yeah. and anti-gravity. Let me get weird with it and see what you know some of the weirder researchers have to say. Mm-hmm. And I found through this dead website, KiwiNet. Um, you can still get it through the Way Way Back machine. I found the research of a Russian scientist a Russian entomologist, insect guy, mm-hmm. named Viktor Gurbinikov. And um, Gurbinikov was a well-respected professor. Um, he discovered these weird uh, electromagnetic fields that had to do with insect nests, um, in particular hives and things like that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of research into larvae, that some kind of alfalfa pest he liked figured out how to stop their larva from killing alfalfa fields. Long list of, of accomplishments for a bug scientist. Um, and he writes about them all in his memoirs. But he also includes a chapter about the flying craft that he built. Um, and <laughs> he said that he was studying the wind, wing flaps, the wing covers of uh, these hard shelled insects. And in his research, he actually says that he's not going to say what kind of insect because he's worried about the population 
Yeah. The, the priest. <laughs> well, <laughs> Which, I think at this point, we should guess it was bees. But later on, he actually said that he discovered this pattern and this ability in several different hard-shelled insects, including um, beetles that can fly, scarabs, those kinds of things, mm-hmm. which, of course, if you get ancient aliens yeah. with it, it's pretty, yeah. pretty bizarre, the deification of the scarab in ancient Egypt. Mm-hmm. And For sure, man. Gravity technology might explain some things. Uh, because it's literally... This simple. Gurbinikov was studying these wing flaps. He went to put put them under a microscope, and he noticed that they would float above the glass for a second before they'd come to rest. And he thought that was strange. So he stitched a bunch of them together until they could sustain a float. And then he put a bunch of them into these boxes, and there's supposed videos of these boxes. Um, and well, I've seen the videos, but oh, you have. supposedly of these boxes and you can see them. He touches them with a pencil and they fly up to the ceiling and then they kind of float back down a, like a feather a little faster. But you can see it's it's floating down, not quite, you know, as violently as it flew. And again, he's applying very little force. Again, grainy footage could be fake, mm-hmm. um, but some weird stuff. It gets weirder, though, because he says once he had a bunch of these blocks, he strapped those all together and he put them on this platform. Um, and the platform, it, it looks like a almost like a wooden pallet with school, uh, scooters handlebars, you know, just like a simple, you know, square with some handlebars. Mm-hmm. And, he, and the square had a bunch of these boxes, these anti-gravity boxes based on bug exoskeletons um strapped to the bottom and report he said that this craft could fly it could float it could go incredible speeds but that wasn't the strangest thing he reported he reported that the craft also had these weird side effects Uh, on his first flight he flew it around his siberian university town and you know on this little test run, landed it back near his lab. And the next morning, the papers and the radio stations were reporting all these UFO sightings. But they weren't oh, reporting shit. a little man standing on a flying pallet. They were reporting these strange disks, with glowing colors, these geometric shapes that would flash different colors. Um, very similar to some of the recent video footage that's been released of those triangles that mm-hmm. flicker. Um, that's what people were reporting, not, you know, this old man on a, a flying pallet. <laughs> and he noted every time he would fly the craft and people would see him, he didn't have to worry about it because they wouldn't see him. They would see these cigar shapes, triangles, squares, saucer shapes. And he also noticed that plenty of times when he wasn't using this craft, those exact same sightings were happening all over Europe. And so he assumed what? that so someone when he, else had... So w- when he was doing them, they were they were seeing them also in Europe? There's reports? So at the during his flights, but also, you know, when he wasn't flying. Yeah. And so he reasoned that someone else has clearly discovered this technology besides him, and they're not telling anyone about it. So he decided to fold up his flying pallet and put it away because he was afraid of, you know causing some kind of situation internationally because these ufos are being seen all over the place 
so in the he would use this craft though before he decided to to put it away for his own safety. He would use it to fly out to uh, his research fields, these remote fields in Siberia, and collect insects. And he noticed the places he would operate this craft began to be inundated with poltergeist activity. Oh, shit. Strange things started to happen, knocking, things like that. Um, not only where he landed it, but if he ever dropped something off the side of the craft while he was flying it, that whole area around where he dropped it would be filled with bizarre phenomena. Just Bigfoots and shit would just be falling off his pallet. He never said Bigfoot, <laughs> but it, it's implied that, yeah, the poltergeist activity that many people claim is Bigfoot. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it just, I have a sil- I, he's a, I'm just in my mind thinking of an old man on a pallet and just all different uh, entities drop it off it's awesome though it's it's it's, definitely the weirdest ufo theory and again it's b theory and it's a little bit of a pun because it's i I don't necessarily know it's true a couple of synchronicities a couple sketchy sources does not make this story true but it is fascinating that there's this russian guy who came up with this conclusion and the reason it really hit home with me is because he describes the side effects of the craft and it's almost exactly the same as the list I wrote in my book about the connection between psychedelic phenomenon and paranormal phenomenon. And he's like, oh, all of these weird psychedelic slash paranormal things happen when I use this crap. And so wild, it was man. it was kind of a, a smack in the face. Um, That's really you know, wild. What, one instance he reported dropping this vial well, off of the craft while he was flying it. And he found it fused into a window of a local <laughs> apartment building. Like it was melted into what? the window. And these tiny little holes, these tiny, like perfectly drilled holes were in a bunch of people's windows. Anytime he flew the craft too close to their, oh, their apartment buildings and shit. And that's something that um, John Keel reported a bunch back on his Mothman sightings and things mm. like that. These tiny yeah, little the holes, holes in the windows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is a, a Russian dude from Siberia, so I'm sure he's not up on his keel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and the odds are that he's never hurt. And again, the rest of the book is just about entomology. It's just about bug science. It's weird really because you can see in his mind he ranks all of these things as equal, and one of them is the secret, supposedly the secret of UFOs. Um, Chaz, I want to ask the- you because you're you're in you're in Florida, right? So I'm sure you're familiar with what goes on in Homestead or what went on in Homestead, mm-hmm. right? At the the Coral was a Coral Castle, they call it. Absolutely. So this is like I'm starting to think possibly because that we they think it's some kind of what some anti gravity or sound. Yeah, yeah. They, they they say it's a sound technology, but again, if it is something so simple as mm-hmm. insect exoskeleton, then yeah, some crazy dude. In Siberia could have figured that, and some crazy dude in Florida could have figured it out, and probably most governments have figured it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that would explain this increase of this this UFO phenomena. And it even goes further to explain some of the the more high strangeness aspects. In particular, one encounter that he one of event Gorbinikov describes is of particular interest when he was collecting uh, larvae. He was collecting larvae of this one insect species. He put it in the vial, put it in his pocket, and flew back to his laboratory a couple hours, 
you know, this craft goes fast, but he was afraid to fly it too fast because there's no seatbelt on that thing. Um, he said it, it could probably go thousands of miles, but he never wanted to take it over like 50 because, you know, it's a pallet with handlebars. <laughs> um, so but he flies back to the, his lab a couple hours from this research field, and he pulls the sample out of his pocket, and the larva is now fully grown, something that normally takes weeks. And this was one of the other things that kind of made him like, I should probably stop using this. <laughs> probably not. If that happened to that larva in my pocket, like what's happening to my organs? Yeah. <laughs> and again, that's something that that missing time or that fluctuation of time mm -hmm. is something that's so consistent amongst yep. paranormal UFO encounters. Um, you know, in one of the cases I talk about in Chile, in one of the possibly the premier a uh, UFO abduction case in South America. It's very similar to the Travis Walton case, but kind of in reverse. Um, this uh, uh, lieutenant, the sergeant, was leading a training mission, um, Sergeant Valdez. And he's leading this training mission on the side of the mountains in the Andes. And they see a, a large light kind of come down on the hill adjacent to them. And it's causing all the animals to freak out. And, you know, the soldiers take formation and they're all freaked out. And suddenly Sergeant Valdez kind of stands up and walks off towards the light. And the light vanishes. And so does the sergeant. They can't find him. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, everyone's freaked out. About 15 minutes goes by. The light returns. And they, Sergeant Valdez starts screaming. He's in the, you know, laying down in the grass in that field. And he's freaked out and he's in and out of consciousness and he's terrified. And the weirdest thing about it is that he went aboard when he disappeared 15 minutes ago. He was a cleanly shaven man. And now he's returned and he has this thick stubble. It's only wow. half beard. And his watch is spun forward a little more than a week. Oh, um, and immediately, you know, the, this patrol drives down the mountain and they get debriefed by the, the, the military and they military actually has a local professor come in and like try to like figure out what's going on because these dudes are freaked out. They're like all confused and they're describing different things. And uh, one of the weirdest details about the case, and the, this is all transcripts of the recording of mm -hmm. the interview right after it occurred. Mm -hmm. So it's it's raw, right from their mouths. Uh, and one of the weirdest thing is that the group can't agree how many soldiers there were supposed to be on patrol. <clears throat> they're they're like, no, there were seven of us. No, 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 there was eight of us. No, 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 there were seven. And they also can't agree about whether they had a dog or not. Half of the soldiers remember them having like this mascot kind of platoon dog that hung out with them the whole camping trip. And then the other half have no memory of this dog. They have no, they're like, no, there was never a dog. I, I have no idea what you're talking That's really strange. And again, it's this super bizarre situation, but all of the, the parties testify it to being like, yeah, that's, that's what happened. It's legit. Um, and Valdez himself was supposed to write some book about the, the situation and he did had been on you know tv and what year was by, this uh i want to say that was 
I want to say 87. Okay. I'm not okay. 100% sure without me looking at okay. it. Okay. <laughs> no, I just um, have this th- I just have this theory that with the whole like false memory and people re- remember like almost Mandela effect, I feel like that's happened after 2012 and something with CERN. I I don't know exactly what the hell it is, but it just happens more and more even to myself where mm-hmm. I think somebody's dead and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that I look them up. I'm like, wait, they're alive. And <laughs> it just happens alive. more and more. And it's like, what? The I f- think that's just the internet getting rid of our natural memory. We're just dependent on it too much. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and sometimes I think that too. Sometimes I think that too. You're right. Because right. Same, same time. Like when things, when you start really relying on the internet for all that shit was around that time. So it could be, not everything is going to be this crazy this crazy thing. Well, maybe it's the UFOs flying over us, and it's just a side effect. We just start remembering shit different. If this, if these cases are are legitimate, if what Gorbinikov's describing is true, then yep. these UFOs could have this massive psychedelic effect um, just by being near them, just yep. by looking at them. Um, and that might explain why doing having a light dose of the, the psychedelics whatever helps drop whatever that cloaking is mm-hmm. you know maybe if you're maybe if someone in siberia was tripping on mushrooms they would see a little man on a pallet yeah they just see the guy in the pallet <laughs> you know I mean? they don't they see all the, the fuck's going on there. <laughs> like what the... yeah. i think the the most interesting thing about these theory though is um i think it's important to keep in in the roster when you examine the phenomenon because it's it's B-theory in name and in my list of favorite theories, but it also, statistically speaking, it's plausible. You know, we know humans are weird and they have secret projects. Everyone's mm-hmm. aware of that. Um, we, we still don't have definitive proof of, of extraterrestrial life. So that one's still statistically up in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, both things can be true. It, it can be true that, you know, if these UFOs are extraterrestrials or if some of them are extraterrestrials, then they've discovered some kind of physics that's natural in our, our universe. And so it's very possible that that piece of physics is hidden inside insects on our planet. I mean, if you really look at insects, if you really look at insects and you really look at especially like bees in particular, they look very alien, right? I mean, when you really stare at their eyes and their head... Right. I mean, they're it's wild. It's really, really wild when you really like look at insects. And um, I literally just heard about this today when I was doing some research on you and it blew my mind and it made so much sense because I have really my my I'm all about my intuition. My intuition has been so right so many times and I'm not smart enough to articulate some of the shit that I've uh, I've I've encountered psychedelically. But I feel like there's certain things I've learned while I've been in there that could like if I if I was smart enough to bring it back, I, I would be able to figure out some amazing shit in this in this world mm-hmm. and a lot of it is always just so simple like i can't articulate this into the words correctly but like i was having yeah. this i was i was uh, i was um i think it was just on, on lsd one time but, but a heavy dose and i was staring at all my crystals and like like i said i'm not gonna articulate this correctly but like i figured something out while staring at these crystals like about information and some kind of ancient past and and how it was a a a technology and it's just so simple and we don't know how to use it correctly and i almost like figured it all out and i know that doesn't make any sense but to someone that's had psychedelic experience Mm. and then i think there are people like the teslas and other ones out there the other geniuses that can go into those realms take that information and translate and i do think it's all very simple 
simple technology that we just need to learn yeah. how to harness. So I really am digging this theory a lot. Yeah, I, I think that it's, you know, it almost makes sense that it's something so mundane, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of It does. Because, uh, and honestly, again, when you take the, the B theory lens and look at some stuff, the stuff starts to match up, mm-hmm. um, right? We know now that bees are being depopulated faster yep. than ever. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's global warming. It's probably global warming, but maybe it's governments rushing to collect bee exoskeletons <laughs> so they can build these crafts. Um, when you think about things like Skinwalker Ranch, mm-hmm. um, you know, we know Robert Bigelow owned that, that piece of property. And we know that the UFO disclosure people have for a long time been saying that it's the private sector. The private sector has the, the tech and the bodies and all, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps everyone knows Bigelow set up this research into all the paranormal things going on in Skinwalker Ranch. But perhaps he did that because he's not trying to figure out the source of it. He knows the source. It's the side effects of his craft. He's trying to study the long-term side effects as you would want to if you have one of these weird (laughs) ufos that cause all of these weird things absolutely maybe it's that simple maybe he's just like all right well we we landed the ufo bunch at this location that's where we've been operating it so let's see what what these side effects are all about and that's when he brings in the scientists and we now have this legend of skinwalker ranch Mm -hmm. Uh, you know again uh possibility a pretty logical possibility when it comes to the crazy theories out there about that place mm-hmm. um if you think about things like mk ultra if this technology does date back to uh, the nazis and nazi technology then <clears throat> mk ultra this experiment to dose people daily with lsd and things like that yeah. all these bizarre strange experiences you know the uh, leader of that program, he took LSD every day, and he said it was because he was worried Russians were going to take him and dose him with LSD, and he wanted to be ready for that. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> like my kind of guy is, is out there. I'm getting on the maybe, offensive. Maybe that's that. Maybe that's the cover up. Maybe it's because he was trying to get acclimated because operating these UFOs takes a person who who can handle these psychedelic experiences because being in and around them causes this alteration in gravity and time and the only way that human mind perceives that is the best it can the same way it's you know frantically piecing its information together when you're on one of these these trips Mm -hmm. um so the the states if it is true how grubinikov describes it the you know kind of bubble that this craft creates would absolutely be a very difficult thing to understand for someone who hasn't done any you know psychedelics who hasn't had their reality wobble before this. the skeptic in me when you're saying um i've been thinking about lately is like it's kind of weird how the 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 crafts have changed throughout the years that makes me think it's something military but just because it could be something military does not mean that it's still not something amazing and that the fact that the military just figured out or you know or these whatever these black 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 ops whatever figured out Mm -hmm like you're saying, B technology or uh, sound frequency technology. But it is kind of it's, it's kind of weird, man. If you look at like the the shapes, it's almost like they've changed, like the way cars have changed over the years. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that 
Now, you know, it's like they were almost more clunky saucers back in, what was that, like the 50s? You know? Yeah. I could be wrong. I don't dive too deep into the UFO well, stuff. In the contact E era, you have a lot of, of, in the 50s and early 60s, you have a lot of ships that they're almost Star Wars-esque where everyone's a little different and they're almost kind of like, you know, ragtag. They look like yeah. they're being worked on. That yes. kind of stuff. And then you definitely see a transition into saucers, which everyone dates back to Kenneth Arnold's sightings. But actually, before Kenneth Arnold's sightings, a couple of years before, Amazing Stories began publishing their Hollow Earth stories. And this was kind of what blew up that magazine. And those stories were, they were purchased from a guy who wrote them as truth. He wrote them as his physical experiences, that he was hearing these things and talking to these entities within the earth. Um, and they were like the ramblings of a madman. And he had sent the magazine a letter, and one of the editors read it and was like, well, this is garbage, threw it out. And the guy who owned the magazine plucked it out and was like, nah, that's a good story. <laughs> and he bought all of the, the rants, essentially, and then he added story to them. He fluffed them up. And so there are these weird mixes of, of fact, you know, of true, you know, this guy's true, quote unquote, experiences and this editor, you know, making it more palatable. But these stories actually have the very first mention of flying saucers. They actually use the term flying saucer again, two years before Kenneth Arnold called them a flying saucer. Wow. Um, and he, yeah, these flying discs, and he said they were coming within from within the earth, that these were what the robots who lived inside the earth were using as craft. Mm. Um, and this part was, was part of this guy's, um, I don't even know if you can call it channeling. I'm not really sure, mm -hmm. you know, what his mental state was. He mm -hmm. lived on as an artist. You can still buy some of his art. I can't remember the guy's name. I'm doing him an injustice. Um, <laughs> But it's a super bizarre story. John Keel actually wrote an article about um, the, the origins of that flying saucer term uh, and about that that strange hollow earth story. So to go um, back to go back to South America, you were talking about hollow earth. And um, did, did any of the, the locals talk about the crafts coming out from the ocean? Because I know that's very uh, a common theme. So the USO is definitely, especially in the friendship case, um, uh, up because uh, Patagonia is mostly these you know waterways and these channels mm -hmm. in between these pebble rock mountain beaches. Um, their their fjords very similar to you know Sweden and Finland, so you can picture that that's kind of yeah. kind of similar to to Patagonia. Um, and again, it's never, especially with the friendship group, the UFOs are never directly associated, is what I've found. It's never, you never see the members of the friendship walking out of a UFO, but always after you've traded with them or um, oh. in one of the most famous cases, they put a bunch of equipment on one of these, the smuggler ships, mm -hmm. and they were supposed to take it to this port, and they got buzzed by a UFO, and reportedly the crew got sick of radiation poisoning, their hair fell out and, oh, shit. and all that stuff. Um, but in those instances, again, uh, you know, objects under the water and things like that. Um, I've actually found that Patagonia by like per capita has the highest number of aquatic cryptids. We 
weird no shit. monsters and you know deities from uh, uh, Native American mythology. Wow, uh, some quite bizarre creatures. There's one um, called the Hide, and it looks like a laid out cowhide and it's got eyes on a on like a snail like burying <laughs> the snail spongebob eyes on posts wow and it hangs out in the water and it'll jump up and wrap up like cattle horses and things like that and pull them into the water um That's yeah wild. no That's some wild. super strange high strangeness when it comes to the the patagonian waters you know beyond just seeing craft lift up and stuff so cool um, so cool man i gotta look into yeah, this more uh, it, it's it's a region that definitely deserves some some more paranormal attention wow so Chaz, do you cover any of this stuff in your books the, the whole patagonia area and some of this stuff yeah absolutely um in my book i get very deep into the the other mythology around patagonia cool just the, the friendship um i dive in i think uh, i I address um, the the Nazi explanation. I address the uh, you know possible extraterrestrial explanation. Talk about all those other famous Chilean uh, UFO cases. Um, then I uh, you know look into the high strangeness, you know Bigfoots and things like that. Charles Darwin actually reported seeing these weird Bigfoot-esque creatures in Patagonia. Um, He thought that they must have been banished tribesmen who were (laughs) wearing hides and masks and things. Um, You know, being the the skeptic all the way back in the day. Uh, But he he reported these these strange creatures and and things like that. Yeah, no, it's it's, a very interesting uh, mythology. It's very unfortunate the um tribes down there have been almost uh, eliminated uh, you know culturally yeah um, yeah that's happening everywhere. some super uh i'm trying to uh, the i think it's the selk nam tribe um do a quick google of them and you'll see how bizarre okay. and unique um the these tribes in patagonia are wow. their art and things it's these strange stripes and polka dots and cones and it's like they almost look out of Silent Hill, these weird okay. costumes and tribal art that they do. It's very bizarre. I can't wait uh, to look no, into it. It's a, it's a super bizarre tradition. Um, if the listeners want to find your book, where can we send them? Because I want to I want to read your book. Uh, so you can find a link to it at my website, chazofthedead.com. It's also available on Amazon. It's called Paranormal Expeditions, Hunt for the Friendship. Um, it's a... Uh, a story of UFOs, Nazis, and an expedition to the edge of the world. Well, I could tell you when it's I UFOs, Nazis, psychedelic. Nice. I love it. I love it, Chaz. I could talk to you for hours, man. I hope to get you back on uh, after I read the book, um, and I hope the uh, I hope the listeners give you some love, man, because I can't wait to read the book. Thank you so much for coming on our show, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Um, and yeah, you can find me at Chaz of the Dead on all the social medias. And then, yeah, chazofthedead.com. That's where all my articles and Patreon and books and stuff are at. So check it out. Thank you so much, brother. Nice talking to you. Thank you.